0: Blog talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and today's guest is Amanda Curtin, who has just returned to Australia from a retreat for writers to talk to us about her latest book, Inherited. Amanda, welcome. Thanks, Maggie. Now, I like to open the show with just a little taste of the author reading from the most recent book, so could you just read to us from one of the stories in Inherited?
1: Sure. Um, I think I might read from the first story um, in the book, which is called Dance Memory. It's one of my favourites. So I'll just read from the beginning. Um, Dance Memory. A few days after they moved into the weatherboard cottage, he backed carefully through the flywire door, something held in the ball of his small hand. Look, he said wide-eyed, the witch give me duck eggs. There's no such thing as witches, Nicky, she told him. You know how we've talked about things from books like Rabbits That Talk and The Big Bad Wolf? Witches are like that. He shook his head, would not have it. But her's a nice witch, he said. Her got ducks. It occurred to Joe that this was progress. It had been a long time since Nicky had talked to anyone. Bless you, witch, she thought. She waved to the woman from the back garden a couple of times, a woman in a wheelchair with a purple granny rug over her knees. She took the eggs from Nicky and held one up to the light. Weren't duck eggs supposed to be blue? These were pale, like French vanilla ice cream with a faintest speckling of cappuccino dreams. She made omelettes for the two of them that night using chives and cherry tomatoes picked from the garden that the tenant before them must have planted. For once, she didn't have to croak Nicky to eat. Can I have a duck? he asked when she tucked him into bed. She frowned and kissed his forehead, I don't know, Nicky, I don't know how long we'll be here. He disappeared next door a few times during the week, and Jo chided herself. It wasn't right to just let him wander off. She should go over there and introduce herself to the witch, make sure everything was all right, make sure he wasn't bothering her. But days went by with boxes to unpack and change of address letters to write, jobs to apply for, and still she hadn't made time to meet the woman. Bad mother, she thought occasionally but forgave herself all the same, because you have to, don't you, when times are gravel and you are only just holding on. But then he came home and told her about the secret. I know something you don't know, he said. And she went through a distracted game of guessing, guessing, until she caught on that there was really something that he wasn't going to tell her, and it was because the witch had told him it was a secret. Joe stopped washing the lunch dishes. That wasn't right. She didn't like the sound of that at all. Is that enough, Maggie? <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Okay. Totally, thanks. I'm glad you chose that story.
0: There's so much happening in, in that opening paragraph, opening section that you read. Mm. Mother guilt and I suppose the notion, and this comes later in the story, but the notion of loss and what remains as well.
1: Yes, that's right. This is a um, one of my favorite characters, really. Jo, she's, she's a, a woman... Single mother, uh, recently widowed, struggling with all sorts of things in her life. Um, uh, the loss of her husband, moving to a rural community. She's certainly challenged financially. She has a young son who's seen death at a very early age. And I'm sorry about that. Um, and uh, and she and she's just struggling to do the best she can. And I, I, I like characters like that. Yes, yeah, so and Nicky too is is
0: quite an extraordinary character, isn't he? He's a sweet little thing. I like Nicky, <laughs> and he does know something she doesn't know, doesn't he? Yes. Not
1: just the, not just the secret. No, no, that's right. He he has uh, has that type of knowledge that young children have when they observe things around them but don't understand them. But there is some sort of thing inside them that that. Uh, that they that they that they un, that they do understand that they derive from everything that's the, the chaos that's that's swirling around them,
0: mm.
1: and um, this whole notion of loss and and what
0: you know, what we hang on to as well, um, the witch, <laughs> or the other character in the in the story, um, yeah. and, and the role of the ducks as well.
1: Yeah, she, the witch is actually a, a ballerina, former ballerina who's now confined to a wheelchair. She's a fairly enigmatic character, but she too is um is is ha, has a great deal of loss behind her and is, is struggling to uh find I suppose community um which she does find. I think this, this, this story creates a little community, a cross generational community of three and the ducks too. <laughs> so it does um create um a way forward for these people who have um, who are all grieving in their own way. Mm. And survival's a
0: big a big theme through all of the stories, isn't it? Surviving,
1: yes, of course. Mm. Um, the the things that and help us to survive too. The things that that um, hold us back, prevent us from from doing from moving forward when we're suffering from grief, I think, and loss. Yes, and
0: I love the the. Maybe I shouldn't say it, but the last line in the book about um, the mother wanting to learn to dance.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, dancing in this case meaning so much more than than physical dancing. Mm. Um, yeah, the that that um, that story does come from um, thinking about ways that we do move forward and thinking about. Um, all the types of memory that there are. Um, Minette, the um, the ballerina character, has memory in the muscles of her body. She uh, she rem- tells Joe that she remembers every every dance she ever danced, and uh, that I think I I did a bit of reading about um, about the neuroscience of how dancers learn and how choreographers teach and and this whole idea of muscle memory came up and i it's often thought of in in terms of um when uh, a limb is lost that the uh the brain still still remembers um what's there and i think for this that dancers have that same thing that that whole idea that they retain in their the cells of their body the dance, and and even when they can't dance anymore, it's still alive in within them. It's not just I don't think it's just in a mind thing. It's it's very much in every cell of their body. Yes, and I suppose
0: the mother and maybe Nikki have the muscle memory of loving.
1: That's right. That's right. The um, Minette says Joe at one point the heart is a muscle too, and mm. the heart can uh, bears and retains so much.
0: Yes. Now, Dan's memory and and many of the stories in this book have been published in other journals, and some have won awards. But when I was reading the book, I felt this definite unified feel to it, as if um, there was almost a connectedness from one story to another. Did you have a large group of writing to choose from towards the theme, or did you actually write the stories
1: with some larger collection in mind? Um, There was a bit of both in that. Um, I had been writing the stories um, for a number of years, as you said, uh, when i started to put the collection together um it seemed to work quite uh, organically um and and when i when i started to think about how i would put it together these themes um emerged and, and the greatest one being um the idea of inheritance in all the forms that we can think of um in ter- in terms of inheritance but um Some, some, when I, when I started to, um, to fix on that idea and to develop that idea more, uh, I did write some, some new stories. I discarded some that I had, wrote some new stories, um, and some of them turned out to be companion pieces. Um, I think Sarah's Ark and On the Use of the Dead to the Living are two sides of the same coin, um, in some respects of how we think about Uh, physical artifacts in the world the the things of our life Um, in on the uses of the dead to the living there's a character old Roy for whom usefulness and purpose is everything whereas in Sarah's arc um, the character Sarah it believes exactly the opposite that things um, don't have value in themselves Simply by being, but they don't necessarily have to be used. They don't have to be something that, have to, that has to have a purpose. Uh, that particular story, Sarah's Ark, actually came from from something I observed in uh, in my own life. I, I'd been um, collecting, uh, cleaning up after a function, um, uh, and I was watching one of my colleagues collecting the corks out of wine bottles and just putting them in her bag. And I asked her why she was doing that, and she said, ''Oh, I collect them. Uh, I keep them. I, I collect them.'' And, and I said, ''Oh, what do you do with them?'' And she said, ''I don't do anything with them. I just keep them.'' And I was so amazed by this, and it, uh, I said to her um, time afterwards, because i have been thinking about it for a long time, ''Do you mind if I write a story about this little habit of yours?'' And she said, oh, sure, no problem, just change my name. So I've done that. <laughs> but the whole idea that that um, that things have no purpose, that uh, it, seemed, it seemed a strikingly postmodern thing to me, so um, the value of non-value. And it's quite different to what I, I think I feel myself. So I was interested in exploring a character who thought completely differently than I did. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that's an interesting aspect of it. And I suppose, you know, there's an obsessional component to that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Obsessive collecting like the corks or, you know, snippets of information that one's collecting about a missing parent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Missing mother or, you know, obsessive eating,
1: even obsessive listening. (laughs) Yes, yes. There's a lot of obsession going on in inherited, that's for sure. Do you find yourself drawn as a writer to the, and maybe most writers are, to the extremes in human behavior? Um, I think I am drawn to the extremes and um, they're always interesting to explore. I think I'm also equally as drawn to the ordinary, the things in um, life that we don't necessarily observe and and take notes about that we might do for example when when we do observe something extreme but the ordinary um feels to me to have so much drama to it and so much heart um behind it that I'm I'm constantly um drawn to to those aspects of life as well as as material for writing
0: it seems to me that there's a connection between that ordinary and obsessiveness as well. I mean, really, um, cork in a handbag seems, it's obsessive, but at the same time, it's really quite, it's just a cork, it's just a handbag, we all have a handbag, and we've we handled corks. Yes. You know, Fred or Frogs even, you know, they are quite ordinary artifacts, yes. maybe become extraordinary by by use or by looking at them a certain way.
1: Yes, you throw an artifact together with a person and that's where I think you, you start um you start getting all the quirkiness, um the and, and the the life the life between the two things. Uh there's nothing as as dramatic and as as um strange as, as people. <laughs> <laughs> uh people and their and their obsessions, people and their families. I've always thought the strangest thing in the world of our families, um, we love them but um Show me a functional family, and I'd be surprised. And yet, those quirks become very useful, don't they? Um. In yes, indeed, they do. Um. There's always a there's always a purpose for everything if you look deeply enough. Yes. So um, the book
0: is structured into seven chapters: keeping, wanting, surviving, remembering, breaking, leaving, and returning. I, I almost felt like that was a kind of hierarchy of needs.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I I thought of them it, it as a um, as a collection of of ideas around the things that keep us stagnant and the keep the things that keep us enable us to move forward. Um, it, it almost felt like a little poem to me um, of. Um, of the way we 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 exist in the world and and the the desires we have the the needs we have, so yeah, I th- I think that 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 is um that is what the type of type of concept I had when when putting the stories under those under those headings which were so much more than headings, to me. Mm. Mm.
0: Yes, and and development in the characters as well.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. That they. Uh, it gives you a, a frame, I think, in which to to think about, if you want to to think about it in that way. But it does frame those those characters and and their um, their needs, their desires. And, and did you
0: pull those chapters together and then start bringing uh, bringing stories into that
1: construct? No, strangely enough, it's sort of um, to use that. Probably overused word again. It happened very organically. That seemed to to work that way, Um, and I think it's possibly not so surprising that that could happen because I think those types of uh, um, consonances come from the things that a person, a writer, is interested in. Um, So that that there are these these cross cross fertilizations between stories that simply come arise out of um a writer's um interests, um, the things that obsess them, the things that, that um that grab their attention and keep them thinking.
0: Yes. In the notion of memory, uh, and you you said in the pa- um in one of your interviews that the past has its hooks in me and I'm Drawn always to what the past brings to bear on the present, mm. um, that that seems to me something that also comes through in some of these stories. This notion of the past bringing to bear on the present.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always find myself um, when I'm researching something um, that is a historical has a historical aspect to it, that that I'm always thinking about. I'm I'm, I'm always then looking to contemporary times and and how that. How we feel today and how where the differences lie and and the, I suppose the trajectory between those things um, those sorts of stories are all, all always seem to be the way that I that I look at the past is, is through a present uh, an aspect of the present as well um, one of the stories um, Rush for example. Um I was interested in the Gold Rush area um after visiting Canana, the ghost town of Kanauna. Um I'd known a fair bit about that um in the, in the through through my editing work, um through editing um histories of about that particular area. Um and so when I went there and I saw I saw the town, what's left of the town, what, what's laughingly called a ghost town uh, which conjures up these very, um, I think cinematic western images of what a ghost town should be. But in this case, it's literally a, um, bare field with a few, a few signs and so on. And the most animated, um, part of the ghost town is actually the cemetery. That's what's left most. But, um, that whole idea of, um, of what's left behind, it also, it, it, it raised in me a question of, of um, threat and the threats that women, in particular, faced in those towns at that time, and it just led uh, to, to thinking about the threats that women f- uh, face today and, and how they are different and how they are the same. So that story emerged through um, through that that double lens, I suppose, on, on, on over over time periods. Yes, and that character herself
0: can't quite understand why there should be a problem with her being there on her own with her sister
1: that's right um that raises that whole question why Why should we feel feel threatened um but we we often do and mm-hmm. and i I did myself when I stood there um at that ghost town um I visited it with my husband um but there was nothing else around for miles and miles, and all of a sudden i um Another another person arrived, and I thought, gosh, anything could happen in a place like this. Um, you're so far from from anywhere, and and um, so few people around. And I suppose I was I, I must have been um, infected by a few ghosts myself because it, I started feeling the uh, the potential for for, for violence um, in in that very remote place. Yes, the lack of witness, I suppose. I I guess, yeah, yeah, that anything could happen and no one would ever know. Mm. Now, that story in particular, and and others in the book
0: as well, um, uh, uh, you showed remarkable self-control in in writing them and um, sort of not giving us too much. But I did wonder whether uh, it wasn't tempting as a novelist as well to, you know, to want to go a little further.
1: What happens next? (laughs) uh i think that's one of the joys and um, beauties of writing short fiction that you can um well that in indeed it, it it feels like you must um hold back because i i do feel in in short fiction far more than in a novel um it is such a fragmentary art and part of that that art is a, for me, allowing the reader to bring something to the story so that there is a uh, there is a meaning that's created from the reader as well as, as the writer. Uh, yes, that happens in a novel too, for sure, but in a story, because it is such a, a partial view of a, a life or a situation or a place, I feel that, that it invites a reader to bring something to it so um, yes, there is that temptation, but I, I feel that that's part of the the craft of, the, of of writing short fiction is to allow that space, that air to breathe for the for the reader to bring what they they wish to to the story as well. Mm. I hope that so. yeah. works. <laughs> well, it is because you can.
0: I, I suppose you can read that in a, a positive or a negative way. And yeah you have to finish the story yourself in your own mind as a reader i
1: think so yeah yeah i i when i read short stories that's what um i like i like to do as well so i'm hoping that that um that that that's the way that that others will read my work yes now one of the more subtle things and I, you know i the
0: stories are, are very powerful, and, and therefore, you know, they bring about emotion in the reader.
1: I found myself crying a couple of times. You couldn't say anything but, nicer to me. Thank you. <laughs> um, one time quite,
0: quite overtly, which <laughs> didn't have a very good effect in the house. So put it down. Yeah. Uh, but there is also a fair amount of irony. Um, you know, quite a lot of black humor in there amidst the, you know, the intensity
1: Good, good. course, I'm glad you can say that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's, um, it's a leavening, isn't it? That's the way we, we view the world. I think um, even in the midst of, uh, of, of grief and sadness, we we can cast a, a wry look on the world as well. And I think that's one of those those issues of survival. I think that's how we get through sometimes. Yes, almost a gallows humour. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it's very strong. Uh, I noticed, too, uh, it's very strong in Australians. I, I wonder whether that comes from our Irish heritage. Um, I think irony is, is something that the Irish and, and the Australians do very well.
0: Yes, I, I think in the sort of uh, old Jewish tradition as well. Yeah, you that, that's right. And that sort of Holocaust humour, you know, when you're facing the the uh, facing the tunnel. <laughs>
1: right I think I think Australians too have a tendency to say the opposite of what they mean which can, must confuse the hell out of a lot of people
0: for sure now I know you're working on a, a new novel at the moment mm-hmm. but do you, do you find the short-term gratification of stories occasionally pulls
1: you away do you do you return to them and, and do the odd story for a break I do I do I really love doing that Um it's great to be able to focus your mind on something other than, than the marathon that the novel is, but it's also immensely gratifying to be able to finish something when you're in the midst of that, that, that marathon, um, to have that short sprint, and um, it doesn't necessarily take a short while, but it takes an awful lot um, less time than a, than a novel does, and um, it gives you the sense of being able to think about something, to develop it and finish it, and um that's that's a fabulous creative um, outlet and a creative break from the novel itself too. I I really enjoy doing that from time to time. What what inspires you to do it? Do you write to
0: contests or um, uh, no? It-
1: no, not, no. I don't do that. I, I, what inspires me, I suppose, is it's like it's like an an accretion effect. Uh, I start thinking about I I, try, I start thinking about something I might have observed or thought about and. Then something else seems to go with that, something that doesn't seem like it's it's related. But I all of a sudden start thinking about two things in um, in conjunction with each other, and and um, then I start making notes, and it, it, it it's an accumulation of um, of ideas, and um, eventually I have to write <laughs> write that story. So that's usually how it works. Now tell me a little bit about the work in progress, the novel that's on the burner, if you can. Um, I can say a little about it. Um, it's quite well advanced at this point. Um, it's a it's a story about a a, a woman who a, a grandmother who is telling the story of her life to a granddaughter, who wants to leave that story with her as a twenty first birthday gift. So she's um, she's writing the story of. Uh, mostly her childhood but also the major events of her life that have brought her to this point and trying to make sense of them which is always what we do I think in writing in 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 any form of writing journaling is certainly one of them um, in in fiction writing as well to try and make sense of what's happened in the past through what we're writing now so that's the basic premise of the of the story that she's of the novel that she's writing, the story of her past to her granddaughter and in trying to make sense of it, trying to um, reconcile a lot of things that have um, uh, been secrets all, all through the whole of her life. Mm. So, is it
0: something of a mise en abime—the story within the story—where you've got the past story, which presumably is unfolding, and the present, which is the telling of it.
1: Yes. It, well, although the telling is mostly in the form of, uh, of written in written form, but yes, it is a story—a past within a, a present. So, so it, it does have that effect.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, well, look forward to. That. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And
0: the the. Um... The notion of short stories, I keep reading it again and again, almost everywhere I go, that short stories are on the increase, that, uh, you know, people are looking for snippets and um, quick stories mm. and short Do you think so? Do you think that the time is right
1: for more short stories to be published in collections or even just on their own? Um, I'd love to feel that that, um, that, that renaissance is happening. Um, I, it's, it's, when you look at the number of collections that have been released over the last twelve months or so, it seems to suggest that perhaps that that is the case and i hope I hope it's so um, There is that whole idea that people are so um strapped for time um these days that to be able to um to read something in one sitting uh to fit a story into a busy life is um is immensely appealing to a lot of people and and I like that aspect to it too um when I ask people um what they do and don't like about um or or to uh to compare the two forms and the novel to the short story, some people often say they like the the um immersion effect um of a novel but um increasingly people seem to be saying too that they they get that Immersion from a short story. They can get that immersion from a short story too. Obviously, on over a shorter period of time. But what they can take away with them, because it remains with them and they can think about it, um, it does does sort of increase that that experience, that reading experience. And um, I think that wasn't that's an interesting way of thinking in short stories that they they give you that that same experience that you you actually do the. The thinking um, and, and it, it elongates that that whole idea of uh, that whole experience of, of reading. So yeah, I'd like I'd like, really like to to think that that we are um, reinvigorating that form that has such a rich history, and maybe there is a um, a new place for it um, in today's life uh, lifestyles.
0: Yes, I mean, it does seem to me that we're on the cusp of, you know, a number of changes, perhaps not in the way we read, but in the things that we read or in, you know, the the, the way in which we approach our reading time.
1: Yeah, and so many different ways we can access um, stories these days. And um, a lot of people are enjoying uh, the, the different types of platforms that are available too. Um it's going to be so interesting to see what happens over the years to come. Uh, I'm very much liking my um wedded I think to my to my pen and ink, um the the, the word on the page, but um other forms are certainly um showing themselves to have, have great uh potential in the way that we, we access literature sure and and yet the you know the real stories haven't changed a Yeah, bit. they always stay, they always stay the same um there are different ways we can tell stories these days, but just the 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 basic the basic drama of of the world and of life that's still there that's they're the stories that we want to hear for sure. well, that's all we have time for today, but thank you so much for
0: joining us, Amanda. Best wishes with the novel. We'll look forward to that coming out. And uh, don't forget to join us again next month when we interview Frank Delaney.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks so much, Maggie.